Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are in your neighborhood, ready to help personalize your insurance. And you can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. Visit statefarm.com today to get a great rate without sacrificing great service. That's statefarm.com. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this podcast comes from Stella Artois. This summer, enjoy the life Artois. You can experience it anywhere, from your patio to the tidal basin. All it takes is being present, being there, with the people you love and a cold Stella Artois in hand. Wherever you are, you're never too far from the life Artois. Stella Artois. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 127, Operation Battleaxe. Last time, Operation Exporter, which had started a week before Operation Battleaxe was due to begin, had its ups and then downs. By the time Battleaxe commenced on June 15th, Exporter had captured some of Lebanon and Syria, halfway up the coast towards Beirut, had taken Kiswi, but then had run out of steam at Damascus. The advance along the coast had equally come to a halt. But now that battle was to commence in the western desert against Rommel, its successful conclusion was looked forward to, so men from there could be moved east and then north to restart exporter. Rommel would be pushed back. Syria and Lebanon would fall, as had Iraq and the British and their allies would be strong again in the Middle East. As for what came next, well, that would be determined by the man in Berlin. C&C Wavell knew he was on his way out, but for now, he had a job to do, and would do it to the best of his ability. Yet for the first week of Operation Exporter, he found himself having to peel away tanks and men from battleaxe to keep the advance to his north, in motion. Of those sent, there were the two brigades of the 6th British Division. Their job had been to protect the Nile Delta, which meant that behind Wavell's wall at El Alamein, he found himself with less and less to protect the Suez Canal. So, even more than before, Rommel could not be allowed through to Egypt. Directly in charge of Operation Battleaxe was General Noel Beresford Pierce, and Wavell explained to him how he saw the battle unfolding. First, the enemy forces closest to their line had to be pushed back, which meant that the Helfaya Pass had to be retaken. It was lost within a week of the British recapturing it during Operation Brevity. Then the areas in between them and Tobruk had to be secured. Solemn Fort Campuzo, and Bardia. This would take them to Tobruk, where it would be relieved, and finally Rommel and his mix of German-Italian soldiers could be defeated, or at least pushed back beyond the derna Makili area, which would leave, once again, Cyrenaica, theirs. This, of course, was a very general, sweeping concept, but that's what C&Cs do. The generals under them handle the details. And General Beresford Pierce had his plan. It just wasn't that original. 
Basically, he was coming at Rommel with a souped-up version of Operation Brevity. There would be divisions instead of brigades, brigades instead of battalions. But it should be noted, most, if not all, of these units were under strength and not using the latest of what British war manufacturers had to offer. To compensate for these undermanned units, the British had a good idea of what the Germans had behind no man's land. Tobruk was mostly in the hands of the Italians, with a few German units to give them some backbone. The 15th Panzer Division, led by Major General Newman Selkow, now looked after the frontier area, just to the north of Campuzo, that was formerly held by Colonel Herf's thrown-together force during brevity. The 5th Light Division had been pulled back, placed in between Campuzo and Tobruk, and told to rest, but also to retrain their men. They would be needed. Rommel was sure of that. And although Tobruk was certainly a high priority in the coming battle, any success there, or anywhere, was based on what happened at Halfaya. To control the Halfaya Pass, or Hellfire Pass as it became known, allowed one to access Solemn up along the coast. It allowed one to sneak up on Fort Campuzo from the east. It gave one access to the coast for many miles to the north, which opened up the way to Bardia, which led to Tobruk and their surrounded comrades. But holding Hellfire fast were again Germans and Italians, under the leadership of Major Bach, who, like Rommel, motivated his men with his passion, led by example, and got the best out of them. Bach's job was simply to keep the pass from Allied hands, and he and his men were keyed up to do just that. Yet there was one area the British seemed to be unaware of, and that was simply a point on the map, labeled Point 206. It held Axis men and weaponry, but because it was just on the British side of the barbed wire, the approaching cruisers would not be looking for it, perhaps driving right up to it, into a waiting ambush. There was one more area that British intelligence may not have been aware of. Just to the west of Fort Campuzo was the Hafid Ridge, just a height like so many others that one would have to drive around to get to somewhere else. But up on those heights were at least three German gun emplacements. The British armor would learn of them soon enough. Before commencing with Operation Battleaxe, it's worth mentioning again that the overall attack plan was nothing more than Operation Brevity with just bigger numbers. And it has to be said that the plan, such as it was, was not a bad one. Take the Halfaya Pass, have men slip through it, and then attack north between the heights and the coast. Meanwhile, have other forces drive north on the southern or left side of the heights towards Campuzo, while the bulk of your armor heads north as well, protecting your left or desert side flank, thus taking all before you. But this is an attack plan that most of us would have come up with when shown a map of the area. Yet one can easily doubt that that's how Rommel or General Richard O'Connor, the mind behind Operation Compass, would have chosen to go. It's worth pointing out. Rommel knew the British were coming and how they would come. And during the days of Operation Battleaxe, as his officers fretted over their lost tanks, the Desert Fox just smiled 
and kept us calm. Turns out the British would be, once again, to a maddening degree, very lax in regards to security while using their wireless sets. Rommel might as well have just been invited to their discussions once battle was underway. So the premise was to repeat brevity with larger numbers, but really the numbers weren't all that larger. Major General Messervy, commanding the 4th Indian Division, with support from the 4th Armored Brigade, which had the heavy infantry or Matilda tanks, was responsible for taking Halfaya, then to move north, take Solemn, turn west, and take Campuzo, and if all was still well, advance north to Bardia. But Messervy did not have all that should have been with the 4th Indian, or the 4th Armored Brigade, for that matter. Of the 4th Indian Division, Mercevy had just two brigades, the 11th Indian and the 22nd Guards Brigade, which had been on duty since April. His 5th Indian Brigade was in Syria, fighting its heart out, and his 7th Indian Brigade was still holding territory in East Africa. As for the 4th Armored, it had fewer tanks than it was supposed to, and many of those were refurbished units, recently repaired at nearby shops. As for Michael Krieg's 7th Armored Division, its 7th Armored Brigade had just two, not three, regiments of tanks, and of those two, one was comprised of repaired cruisers, the older models. The other was comprised of the new cruisers from the Tiger Convoy, but the men had not had the chance to really learn what they could do. So again, Battleaxe was supposed to be a greater version of brevity, but in some ways, in the important ways, it wasn't. As Battleaxe got underway on June 15th, each side had about 200 tanks. Yet the British were going into battle with all of theirs in play from the beginning. As for the Germans, about 90 or so of their tanks was with the 5th Light Division, some 50 miles to the north, just before Tobruk, resting, repairing, and hopefully retraining. And Wavell was counting on this. He knew, just as Beresford Pierce did, that they had to inflict as much damage as they could on that first day, nay, the first part of the first day, before the 5th Light Division could race south and engage them. On a side note, Churchill was convinced of the success of Battleaxe, even before it happened, which is why he not only pushed for it to get underway, but didn't hesitate to urge Wavell to release some of it for Operation Exporter. After all, hadn't he worked his ass off to get approval for the Tiger Convoy, to give Wavell the key ingredient for success? Tanks. But as battle commenced, both sides were roughly matched, in men and tanks. It would come down to leadership and luck. The days leading up to June 15th saw the RAF doing a commendable job, controlling the skies over the soon-to-be battlefield. In fact, Beresford Pierce had more control over the sky than he could have expected. But it was the events on the ground that mattered, and those events were much less clear-cut. And now, here is your mental map of Operation Battleaxe, though there is a map of this area acting as the episode's cover. The piece of North African coast that concerns us is relatively level on the right-hand side, where the British are starting from, 
but then turns sharply north. The Helfi Pass is just off the coast, before the sharp turn of land. The pass cuts through the heights that go for a long way up the coast, hence the need to control the pass to send men up along the coast. Just after the coastal turn, but along the coast, is Solemn, and almost due west of Solemn is Fort Campuzo. The barbed wire separating the two sides starts along the coast far behind Solemn, but comes down in a southwesterly direction and cuts in front of, or to the south, of Campuzo, and continues to head southwest. Below the Haufaya Pass, closer to the British starting point, is relatively open desert. The same can be said of the area to the north of Fort Campuzo, on the way to Bardia, firmly in Axis hands. And the only other major height in the area, Hafid Ridge, is to the south and west of Campuzo. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell Technologies solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash Tech. The offensive started out well enough on June 15th for those troops of Major General Messervy, who had the job of clearing the open area below Haufaya Pass. The Guards Brigade and those tanks of the 4th Armor Brigade with them traveled west, approaching the bobbed wire fence, itself about five miles south of Campuzo. But right away, they ran into something their reconnaissance didn't inform them of. Point 206, which contained a nest of Axis forces, and they opened fire on the advancing tanks and units to the south. Yet, to their credit, the Allied forces reacted well, didn't panic, and in short order, subdued the trouble spot. The rest of the guards and the 4th Armored continued on, overrunning the wire, turned north, and got in behind, or to the west, of Campuzo, thus cutting it off from help. The fort fell to the Allied forces. By sunset, they had just over 500 prisoners. And that was the good news. As for those attacking the pass, or the armor of Michael Krieg, swinging wide to the west, the results were mixed. As the heights near the coast, where the Halfaya allowed access through, began close to the Allied starting point, they were able to send the 11th Indian Brigade to the north of the rise, and the Guards Brigade detachment on a southerly approach. Each group had Matildas with them, yet neither side had success that day. The fiery Major Bach rallied his men, who repulsed both attacks and took out a majority of each side's tanks. The 11th Indian to the north lost four of their six Matildas to mines, while the guards to the south lost 11 of their 12 tanks to unidentified guns. By sunset, both sides turned back to their starting points. As for Krieg's 7th Armor, composing the far-left flank, the older cruisers led the way, the thinking being only after the enemy was engaged would the newer versions come forward and hopefully surprise the Germans. Yet as the tanks made their way in a northwesterly direction, 
always on the left of the guards and the 4th armored. They crossed the wired fence, eight miles south of Campuzo, and made for the Hafid Ridge, knowing that there had to be gun emplacements there. But not seeing anything except the shimmering sand until they reached the ridge, they soon came under fire. The new cruisers moved up. The firing seemed to be coming from three separate locations, so the 7th knew its job for the day. The closest ridge was attacked three times, as it posed the greatest threat. But the first charge resulted only in lost tanks. No ground was gained. The second attack, perhaps surprising the Germans, who had just repulsed an attack, made their way up the heights and took out the first gun position. But this gave the British a good view of the second closest gun position. Yet, as they themselves had been spotted, it was decided to first fall back, out of those guns' range, to plan. But five of the tanks did not get the message, due to a shortage of radios, and were either captured or destroyed, their crews never seen again. The third attack, which had started around 5.30pm, was to be carried out by two squadrons of the new cruisers, but they were operating under false intelligence purposely put out by the Germans, that they were abandoning the height. The two squadrons raced up before the enemy could get away and ran right into a well-laid ambush. Eleven tanks were lost. Six were seriously damaged. The rest disengaged. But by then, the leading elements of von Ravenstein's 5th Light Division was approaching from the northwest. They and the 7th Armor Brigade exchanged shells from long range, then broke off after darkness. By sunset, the 7th was down to 37 workable tanks, yet managed to repair enough of them during the night to raise that number to 48 by morning. During the early part of the night, Beresford Pierce went over the day's events as they were reported to him, and overall he was not displeased. It would have been nice if Halfaya and Solemn were taken. It would have been nice if all three gun positions on the far Hafad Ridge had been taken. And it would have been nice if the 7th Armored had more than just 48 tanks to work with the next day. But it was what it was, and Beresford Pierce could live with that. So his plans were unaltered. To be sure, Meservy was told to take Halfaya Pass, and then Solemn. But he was also told to release the 4th Armor Brigade to Krieg, who needed the numbers to subdue Hafid Ridge. But Krieg's main job was to make sure the 5th Light Division didn't swing around Desert Side and get in behind them. And the 22nd Guards Brigade, they were holding Fort Campuzo well enough and didn't need the headache. On the other side of the barbed wire, the German officers were worried about what the morrow would bring. Surely Halfaya would be hit again, as would the guns on Hafid Ridge. But Rommel wasn't worried. He knew what the British were going to do. Not that he was clairvoyant. He just had someone who spoke English monitor their wireless chatter. It was reported to him that the 7th Armored was to not allow German armor to swing wide of them and get him behind. He was told that another attack would be made on Halfaya without armor this time. And having this knowledge, Rommel decided to have a spoiling attack plan put in place. 
The badly mauled 15th Panzer Division would charge south and retake Campuzo, then turn east and approach and support Solom and Halfaya from the north. Meanwhile, Ravenstein's tanks of the 5th Light would indeed come around Hoffet Ridge from the west and try to get in behind the British. If they did, great, they were to head to the pass as well, approaching it from the south. If they did not, at least those British tanks opposing them could not support what would be happening at Campuzo, Solom, or Halfaya. With the morning of June 16th, the 11th Indian Brigade attacked at Halfaya again, but it was a no-go throughout the day. But at least Bach and his men were tied down there, and so could not help out at Solom, to the north, which was taken by the 4th Armored Brigade, not a part of the plan, so Rommel was caught off guard. But of course that meant that the 4th Armored did not make its way to the Halfed Ridge to help take out the guns, or deflect the 5th Light Division. Meanwhile, the 22nd Guards managed to hold off the 15th Panzer Division's attack at Campuzo, which stayed in British hands. As for Krieg's 7th Armored, they engaged the 5th Light Division, trying to sneak past, and ended up in a running battle 10 miles long, as both groups of tanks traveled southwest, just north of and parallel to the barbed wire. That night, they had reached City Omar, but the Germans did not get through. Of course, the 7th Armored was down to just 21 tanks by then. The rest were either in pieces or just enough pieces as to not be of any help the next day. As the night before, Beresford Pierce looked over the intelligence as it came into him and decided to stick with the basis of his plan. The 4th Armored Brigade would be sent to help Krieg for surely the Germans would stick to their plan and try to get those tanks through. As for the 15th Panzer Division, if they tried to take Campuzo again, they would be turned away again. But the Germans were thinking along different lines now. Rommel's officers were even more worried than they had been that morning, what with so few tanks. But again, Rommel was calm. He knew what the British were going to do and planned for it. But this time, he had a specific objective placed before him. Major General Bach was running low on supplies. His defense so far had been amazing, but he needed more shells and bullets, the very things that kept the pass out of Allied hands. So Rommel decided to have the remains of the 5th Light Division swing east and make for City Suleiman, about eight miles south of the Halfaya Pass. As for the reduced and weakened 15th Panzer Division, they would ignore Campuzo this time, swing west and then south of it, cross the barbed wire, and join up with the 5th Light Division. And together, they would rescue Bach. If all went according to plan, then they could turn and go back northwest, just to the south of the heights, and attack Campuzo from the rear. June 17th, the third day of Operation Battleaxe would determine the victor.
And now a game of Commercial Chicken, brought to you by Progressive, where we see how long Flo can go without talking about insurance. Ready? Go. So the... The weather is just all over the place lately, right? One day it's hot, and the next day it's, uh, it's windy for a while. It's like, make up your mind already. Drivers who switch to Progressive can save big. Okay, you win. We can't help but save customers money. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. And now a game of Commercial Chicken, brought to you by Progressive, where we see how long Flo can go without talking about insurance. Ready? Go. So the, the weather is just all over the place lately, right? One day it's hot, and the next day it's, uh, it's windy for a while. It's like, make up your mind already. Drivers who switch to Progressive can save big. Okay, you win. We can't help but save customers money. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.